Good morning, Living Word Church. How are y'all doing? I see everybody's finding their seats quickly. Go hastily to your seats. That's a lot of y'all. It looks, it looks resemblance of like when you kick an ant pile. It's people everywhere. Well, good morning. I'm happy to be here with y'all. I'm not just doing announcements this morning. I've been asked to speak, so I'm going to stay up here for a little longer than normal. Let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your church. We thank you for the Christmas season, God, and just an amazing time of reflecting on you, God, as our Lord and our Savior. God, I pray as we go through this message, as we look at the shepherds and the role they played in this story, God, that it would be more than just a story. God, that we would, we would see the awe and the reverence and the mighty thing that took place on that night. God, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, let's get started. Before I get started, my parents are traveling back uh, from out of town, so they promised me that they would be watching me this morning as they traveled down the road, so I promised them that I would tell them good morning, that I love them, and thank you for your faithfulness in serving God. Y'all be careful. So we're in this series, Ordinary Vessels. Did y'all know that? That's right. It's the third week, so if you've been here, you should. And we've t- I've titled this message, Shepherds. And why them? Posing the question, why the shepherds and why did they have this place in this story and the significance of it? Many of us have have heard this story over and over, right? The story of the birth of Christ and the shepherds and the role they played. Uh, But there just as well could be some of you here that maybe had no idea that a shepherd played a part in this story. But either place, wherever you come from today, just as I prayed earlier, I pray one thing, that we would see the awe and the wonder of what, has, what took place on that night in Bethlehem and the impact that it had for, for eternity and for each one of us personally to have named the name of Christ. Looking just here at our series titles, I was thinking about it, Ordinary Vessels. Um, I said, well, let me just kind of, I mean, I, we hear the word ordinary and we hear vessels, it's common words, and I said, but I just like to kind of look at it a little deeper. And when you look at the word ordinary, um, it's just, just that. It's something that's common. It's something that's uh, just kind of the same thing, no real big deal, really, ultimately, right? Just ordinary. Um, And then a vessel is a container of which holds something. So two very basic words for us, but obviously the the picture for us is that we are those ordinary vessels, and the things that we are filled with is Christ, and that's where the extraordinary happens, not in of ourselves, but the filling of the Holy Spirit in an ordinary vessel. Vessel. So that's where we're here, and it brings us to the shepherds, because as we'll see, the shepherds were pretty ordinary folk. Actually, probably in some ways, um, probably the lowest level of ordinary, and we'll look at it a little, a little deeper. But I want you to think about this, and if you happen to say something, it's okay. You can talk to me. I probably won't respond back, but I will ask you a question. So when we hear the, the word ordinary or this idea of ordinary, it seems like so many times it's seen in a negative light. Would you agree with me on that? In our, in our culture of drive and 
pushing forward and being be all that you can be. And I'm, and I'm not saying that those things don't necessarily have their place. But unfortunately, what comes with that is this idea of ordinary is, is not a good thing. And uh, the problem is, with that, is we quickly run out of uh, ways in which to be extraordinary when we think them up in our own mind, right? Uh, there's only so many physical things that we can change. Uh, there's so many different ways we can do something, and then sooner or later you're copying after somebody else, right? I mean, there's billions of people on the earth, and eventually you're going to probably repeat something that someone else has done. But the danger also comes is that we realize that, so then we try even harder and harder and harder, and ultimately it leads us down a path of comparison uh, that can be very dangerous. So as we ground in this message, know that we're going to look at ordinary from the perspective of being actually a very good thing and the calling that God has on us, on our lives as believers. Always remember, there's someone smarter, prettier, and more athletic. It's just a fact. I run into that many times in my life. (laughs) Although my wife did say she loves my sweater this morning many times. 1 Corinthians 2.2, and and let this kind of bring us to this here, of, of the reality of us being ordinary, Christ being the extraordinary, and, and how it works in that. And look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what should center us as believers as we go through this Christmas season. And, you know, I, you know as I've, if I look through my life, you know, Christmas is just obviously an exciting time. Um, there's all kinds of things to do, and we get real caught up in it. But as we go through this message, I know I'm giving you a lot of things to think about up front. But think about that, too, that Christmas is more than just this time of gathering. I mean, we do it for a very specific reason. We need to realize that being ordinary and doing ordinary things is right where we belong as believers. It is in that that Christ can do extraordinary things. You know, when we look at extraordinary in our world, we look at it, you know, our success in our businesses, we look at it as success in our family and we see that light of extraordinary, and that's an earthly view of extraordinary. But what we're talking about here is a kingdom view of what's extraordinary. And what's extraordinary in the kingdom view is that God himself came down on earth in flesh, sacrificed his life for us so that we could be back into connection with a holy and a sovereign God so that the sin that we had is no longer. That is what's extraordinary. And then with that, we go forth, and we proclaim that very same message over and over again. It's a cyclical process that takes place. So the extraordinary that I speak of is not one of what man is capable of, but only that of which God is capable of through Christ and him crucified. So it brings us to our message about this ordinary situations on the shepherds and why them. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to go ahead and read the story first. And yes, this is orange juice. Luke 2, 8 through 20. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known this saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. It's a great story, and we're going to get into this here, but just so you've got to get a reference of where we are, Bethlehem was situated about six miles to the south of Jerusalem. Um, I looked at it on Google Maps. It's about a 28-minute drive today, uh, but it's actually only about six miles, so it's actually pretty, pretty close in perspective. But these sheep that these shepherds were shepherding would have been on the hills grazing or outside uh, the main area, the temple area. And quite possibly, these sheep would have been the ones that were regularly used for temple sacrifices. So they were out there on these hills. The shepherds were out there. We see basically that they were just keeping watch over them. But I think what's interesting, consider this. The angel come and he, pronounce, he addresses the shepherds. They're shepherding sheep that are used for the sacrifice, which is a picture of the remission of sin at that time. And he's about to send the message to the Savior of the world, not far off, that will be the ultimate for all of us and for all mankind. And then interesting watching that as it plays out. But look here, at nighttime it says just that, that they were there at night. And the shepherds in that day, um, it was a full-time job. They would have had to, at nighttime, out in the fields, probably prepared some sort of a makeshift sheepfold in order to get all their sheep together. And the shepherds would have taken turns guarding the door. Um, remember Jesus said that he was the door and that's the picture we have there that he's guarding them and keeping watch over them and we see this all playing out but remember 700 years earlier the prophet Micah had predicted that a child would be born in this little village this little village of Bethlehem and this here was the fulfillment of the prophecy so there's an obvious thing here there's this prophetic thing that happened 700 years ago and now we're beginning to say it play out and this good news is going to go forth it's going to be a powerful thing. So I was thinking about this idea of announcing good news and something big just in, a, in our own lives. So if you were going to announce something big in your life, um, who do you think you would probably go to tell? Something you wanted to get the word out. You would probably look to some person maybe of prominence or influence, right? Somebody that's a great communicator, somebody that has some rapport in the community, you know, you want to get the biggest bang for your buck. You want to get the most information out there as possible, right? And that the idea of advertisement and getting the word out. But here's the thing. When you look at this situation, as we see it, it's completely different. So we think about that time and who possibly could have been given this. One, Roman leadership probably wouldn't have been a good choice, right? Because there would have been a threat to Jesus' life. Although they would have had some of the other characteristics, uh, the struggle would have been uh, that they didn't really want to have anything to do with Jesus, but then we look at possibly the high priests, chief priests, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders of that day. Although you and I right now look at that very negatively, in that day they had great influence over Israel and over the, the religious. So that would have been, a, if, in, if I'm standing there in that time, I'm thinking, 
this is who I want to let know where this baby is going to be because they're going to be able to really maximize and get the word out. But none of those is what happens at all. It's just plain old, ordinary shepherds in a field is, where, is who God picks. And that's profound. And the text really doesn't give us anything specific about these shepherds other than that they were out there. Um, so all our assumption is that they were just very ordinary. And it brings us to our first point that the shepherds were the most unlikely candidates to announce Christ. The shepherds would have been the most unlikely candidates to announce Christ. Look here in verse 8, it's quite basic. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Pretty straightforward, right? Nothing real crazy going on there. But before we go a little bit further, what I want us to do is look at some details of a shepherd in that day and how it would have been, how it would have been viewed um, Firstly, all throughout the Old Testament up to this point, shepherding was a very common profession. Um, it was a necessity for them to do life. It was, it was normal. It was what they did. You know, I mean, Abraham even had times where he functioned as a shepherd. We see Moses uh, caring for his father-in-law's sheep, Midian's sheep, at certain times. We see David was called where? As an unlikely candidate from the kingship out of the field, right? And get this, this is, this is something else that just was profound to me. Thinking about David. So Bethlehem is the city of David. Scripture tells us that. And there's obviously no concrete evidence, but we, but we can be pretty close. That it's quite possible that these very same hills that these shepherds were on, tending these sheep, were some of the very same hills that David would have been called out of for the kingship by the prophet Samuel. I mean, isn't that powerful to see God's faithfulness of prophecy all throughout Scripture? Shepherding also was not this illegitimate profession. Um, it, was just a, it was just a lowly profession because of the type of work that was done. Um, you hung out with sheep all day. I mean, consider that, right? You know, I mean, I had a time where I had goats. And um, I've probably got more goat stories um, in that short time than really most things in my life because those kind of animals make impact on your life, right? You know, I mean... Um, there's not enough time to tell you all those stories, but I mean, it is just a, you know, and to do that full time, I did it recreationally, uh, hence the way I can laugh about it, um, but these guys did that for f- a living. This was, their, this was their job, but the thing is with shepherds, they typically were uneducated, uh, unskilled, they really didn't have any particular trade skills, um, and they were the lowliest people in the society for one real reason is that seven days a week they worked. Um, there was no break. I mean, even at night when they slept, it was still the guarding of their sheep. So they spent a lot of time um, in just isolation, very little interaction with one another. And just by nature, um, that's, a, that's not the job that most people are looking for, even, even today. But the rising up of the Pharisees during that time even cast a different light on them. Because as, as this religious regulation and this, this thumb of the Pharisees being on all the people... Uh, it, it kind of even changed it even that much more because now, not, not were they just naturally the lowliest, but now they were beginning to be viewed by society because, for what? They couldn't follow a lot of the things of tradition. They, they couldn't honor the Sabbath because uh, they were working. They couldn't attend religious ceremonies because they were out in the field. Um, and it was even to the point where they weren't even allowed to testify in court in most situations because they were just seen as unintelligent. So you see these shepherds here just being almost lower than ordinary, and really they became to be more despised in culture 
as the Pharisees began to capture the hearts more and more of the people of Israel. So here you are, we're looking at this idea of why they would have been the most unlikely candidates. It's not just shepherds. In that time, nobody would have considered that this is where you would go to bring any kind of news like this. You know, today we see the Pharisees in a much different light, right? On this side of the cross, we realize that it's the very thing that Jesus did as he walked out earth, as he exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I mean, he came and exposed all of that. And here today, we, that's what we read, and that's what we see. You know, I think about even, you know, I can remember times as groups of friends, we get together and, you know, jokingly, you call each other a Pharisee, right? And um, that's, you know, that's Christian put-down, I guess, uh, maybe for lack of a better word. But, you know, we see it like that. But in that day, yes, people would have, ex- people would have understood to a certain level things of the Pharisees, don't get me wrong. But it was different than the way we see it now. Um, so we need to, so when you look at who, who was ultimately picked, and you, you look at us looking at it from that day period, we would not have picked um, probably the shepherds to bring this good news to. That would have seemed like one that would have not gotten very good return on our investment, right? But look at this, and this is why the shepherds were picked. Let's look here. Look at Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So all the way back in Isaiah, there was an illusion that this good news was not going to be brought to anybody of great stature. That it was going to be brought to who? Those that are poor. And when we look at the word poor, um, it's, this, it's this description of being lowly, meek, afflicted. It, sits, it fits the perfect example of who the shepherds were in that day. And then Jesus in Luke 4 actually alludes to Isaiah's prophecy and says that I'm here to fulfill and what I, me being here is a fulfillment of that prophecy that takes place. And he brings good news. Look here in 1 Corinthians one twenty six about this idea of being lowly. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. So who did Christ come for? Who did he come to bring this message to? First Timothy 1.15, Paul has this revelation. And he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. An acknowledgement of his need for Christ. So what Paul said there in First Timothy is, this, is a key component of the gospel being fulfilled in our life. He accepted the reality of who he was as man and his dependence on Christ as a Savior. And therefore, that's why this is the greatest news of all time that's gone forth. It brings us to our second point, that the shepherds received the greatest news of all time. I want to start here with reading just verse 9. We got, we're going to go with 9 through 14, but I want to look at just 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And they were filled with great fear. So how many of you would think that fear would have been a very natural response for an angel to come out of heaven and greet you on the hills with your sheep? Right? Probably a pretty natural response. I mean, consider it. I mean, think about it. Put yourself in that position. All of a sudden, this angelic being shows up. And I'm sure it wasn't a sneak attack, right? I'm sure it was pretty sudden and pretty abrupt. And then not only that, there's the glory of the Lord that's around it. And that in and of itself, despite the initial response of fear, when we are coming, you know, when 
when you look at this and the reality of coming into the presence of God, there is a fear and awe that comes with that because of who God is. I mean, how many times have we seen throughout Scripture where God could not reveal himself to man because he would die or he had to shield himself from that person? And we see here that the glory of the Lord is there. I can only imagine what that experience would have been like. And there's this reality when we're standing there as man and we stand before a righteous God, we really understand that we are not. We are the complete opposite of righteous. We are sin and in desperate need of that. But then look what the angel says. He says, fear not. Isn't that the same thing that the angel said to Zechariah? He also said to Mary as they brought him this, this crazy news of their time. He says, fear not. And I thought, fear not. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, consider this. How do you not fear? And as I looked into a little form, I'm looking here, and it says, and he says, because, this is because of there's going to be good news, and it's going to bring great joy. So this idea is like, okay, you're over the initial response, but now I'm bringing good news and joy. Don't worry. You don't have to be concerned for your life. And when you look at that terminology of do not be afraid, when you go through all through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, um, anytime God has said that, do not be afraid, it's a setup because he's about to deliver grace. He's about to deliver grace because our initial response to God should be one of fear because the reality of who we are comes into light. But then he reassures us and says, hold on a second. I'm about to bring you grace. I'm about to show you grace, and I'm about to walk you through this. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, and for unto you in this born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As I was reading this, uh, I was in my bedroom, and Rachel and I was talking about it. And it's, you know, it's one of these moments where just the reality of it kind of gripped my heart. And I thought about this. Here, we, here, here these shepherds sit doing their job in the field. And for thousands and thousands of years, heaven has awaited this moment, right? This moment of an announcement of the Savior of the world. And the earthly people obviously knew an expectation of it. But they wouldn't have seen it in the same perspective. And I can see them just all getting riled up and getting ready. And this angel shows up and is about to deliver the biggest news of all time. Church, let that, let that sink in as you think about this through this week of how big of a moment this was that took place. There's three things here that I want us to look at as a breakdown. The first one is it says, a good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. When we look at the word good news, it, we know that that translates also as a similar word as gospel. Right? The gospel is the good news. It's the same word in the Greek that it's used. It's euangelizo, euangelizo, and it's where we get our English word evangelize. It's the Greek word for our English word for evangelize. And look here as we're going through it. When you think about good news, anytime you have good news in your life, what is your initial response? Like if you shoot a deer, for example, right? It's a big deal. I'm having a rough season. I haven't been able to share that with anybody yet. But Jared did. Jared shot his first deer this year. Which was just as exciting, I have to admit. It was like I was there with my boys. You find out that you're pregnant, 
right? Big deal. You want to tell a lot of people, right? You get a new job or some sort of promotion. You get engaged um, or you get that first vehicle. may not be a new one, but the first time that you can drive something on your own, right? We're excited about it. It's a big deal. You want to get out there and tell somebody. So that's our um, a form of evangelism, right? We're getting the word out. Of course, we're not getting out the word of God in those moments, um, but there's this idea that we want to tell people about what's going on. And then not only is it good news, but it's good news of great joy. And this great joy is one that only can come through relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not just a joy that you and I can talk about. This is not just something simple that we see in our but this is a joy that you will only know as a believer in Christ Jesus because all things are changed. Look what, uh, look what Paul says here in Romans 1.16, and he kind of brings the first element, and I'm going to move us to the second one. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That word gospel there is the same one that we see here because in verse 15, he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. And that one is just good news. But this form of gospel speaks to the evangelistic approach of the gospel and what ultimately God has done in his life. But then it continues on, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so many times we read that and we're like, man, wish I was a Jew, right? You want to be first on the list? Well, don't worry, you're not left out. But let's look, with, let's look at the text because it is interesting how this takes place. So it says, for all the people. He says it brings good news for all the people. Well, actually, when you look at the word people there in the Greek, it's in singular form. And actually, it is speci- speaking specifically to a certain tribe or a certain nation. And that would have been the nation of Israel, to the Jew first. So you think, man, I think I left out the whole deal, right? No, it's okay, because when you go, go a little bit further in Luke 2.31, and they bring Jesus, this is eight days later, they bring him to the, uh, to the synagogue, and they're going to have, they're gonna, they name him, and they have him circumcised, and Simeon's there, right? And he, and he holds up the baby, and I think of, I, ever, I think of like in the, uh, in the Lion King, when they hold up Simba, right? And he gets up on Pride Rock, and he holds him up in the air. That's kind of the pitch, I don't know if he did that or not, but it would have been cool. And so he holds him up. He's holding him higher looks, and he says, and he says that it's for all the peoples. He says all the peoples. He puts it in plural form, and then he brings us back, and he says not only for the Jew, but for the Gentiles, and brings it all around that the message of Jesus Christ was for everyone, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And then he moves on a little bit further, and this is just an amazing part here, and it says a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I'll leave that up there for a second. I was thinking about that. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. So there's so many different ways in which they're being described. So first he's a Savior, and we'll talk about that. And then he's Christ the Lord, and is speaking to the incarnation of God. Come down on earth, our Lord and Savior is now the Christ, the Redeemer of all mankind. So it's an allusion not only to being the Savior, but that he is the incarnate God here on earth, walking in the flesh for us. Because Israel would have been aware of this Redeemer. Um, they knew about the Davidic promise and the Abrahamic covenant that was in place. And these were all things that they were expecting. So this idea of a redeemer and a Messiah would have been something they would have understood, something that they would have been looking for. But a lot of them would have thought that it was just a, someone that was going to save them from Roman oppression. Uh, that it was going to be something to help take care of their, their needs right then and there. And he came for something obviously much bigger than that, than that. 
and that was to deal with our sin debt. I was thinking about that as well. And isn't that so much and so many times, unfortunately, that we view our Savior today, that he's there to take care of just the immediate need we got, the immediate concern. Uh, We go to him in this time of distress or this time when we really need something. would have been a similar comparison, and that he's here just to fix all of our earthly problems. And although those things take place, that's not the ultimate reason why Christ came here for us. He came here to deal with our sin debt, which would have been the ultimate healing, that we would then have been able to go back into communion with a holy and a sovereign God. Mankind's biggest problem is not our day-to-day issues. It's the fact that apart from Christ, we're sinners. And without Jesus Christ, that's exactly who we are, and that's exactly where we stay. Hang on with me here for a second. I want to say something, but just be patient with me. Christ did not come to fill the voids in our life, making it all whole, so we can just have a better life. He didn't come for us just to have a better life. You know, I think about that, and as I was talking about it, Rachel and I was talking about it before, you know, and we were looking at the idea of that God obviously does provide, and God takes care of us, and God blesses us, and um, you know, the list goes on and on, and He desires to do so. None of that's being put to the side, so those are a reality. But I said, but hold on a second. I said, we're here in America looking at this from our perspective. Let's take it from someone in a third world country who has nothing. What do do they need Christ for? It's no different than what we need Christ for, for our very survival, just like Ben read in Matthew 6. And I was thinking about as you were reading that, and and you you look at the very things that God says that we know and he's going to add unto us, or those very things that he knows that we know are the things that sustain us life. And the reason why they need to sustain life is because life is all we need to advance the gospel. Life is all we need to advance the gospel. The other things are nice and they help us, but the one true thing we need is breath in our lungs so that we can proclaim Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. We need to focus on the healer and not the healing, the giver and not the giving, the heart of God not so much the hand of God. We need to look to our source of where this comes from, not the symptom and not the effect with the source of it. It goes back to one thing, that it's not about us. And that's why this news is so great, because it leaves us out of it. It saves us and brings us to this place. The true message of Christmas is that Jesus was born to die, to take our place, to be our Savior, and to rescue us from sin and guilt. And then we move on here. And all heaven breaks loose in verse 13 and 14. It says, And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and just to go before we get any further, when, it's, when you see the word multitude, it just means, it actually comes from a word that we get, our word plethora, a bunch. But also, anytime we see in Scripture, we see the word multitude, when Jesus fed the multitudes, um, it, it resembles of thousands. So this picture here is there's just probably an innumerable amount of hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's more than just a cool Christmas song. All of heaven breaks loose. Remember the anticipation that they would have had for this moment to claim Christ as the Lord. There's a shift that takes place here from, with the shepherds that they hear And then they receive this message that was given to them of Christ. They heard it, and then they received it. And 
when it comes to the message of Christ, and even practically when there's things that we hear and we receive it and we believe it to be true, there's this upwelling that we need to tell someone, and there's something that we need to do about it. And he brings us to our third point, that the shepherds modeled the advancement of the gospel. Remember why the shepherds? Because the shepherds modeled for us the advancement of the gospel. Verse 15 says, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who had heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in our heart. The shepherds demonstrated those two things, that they heard and they believed, and now they're advancing the gospel. And it says they went with haste. Now the word haste is just rapidity of motion, this, just, this quick move, rapid motion in the direction in which it's pushing you. So they went with haste. And I was thinking about haste. In this past couple of weeks, we've made a hasty decision in my home um, to take on rabbits. And as Rachel and I was talking about this the other day, she said, Matt, she said, who's, who's taking care of these rabbits? I said, I don't know. I, was, I, I know it wasn't me, um, but my boys have answered the call of taking care of rabbits. But it was a hasty decision. We got a good deal, right? You watch out for those good deals. Also think about haste, you know, when we speak into the, the idea of obedience and this idea of, what, of the shepherd's obedience. And um, I, I was reminded of a, of a person in our, in our life as I've grown up that has have had great influence with this idea of obedience and listening quickly and going forth. And uh, many of you know Mr. Rodney Lugabill. He sits up there in the top. And uh, he, he may not even know that uh, he, he does this or has said this or even remembers me. And this was years ago. And I remember him making a comment one time. He said that you do it all the way, right away. You do it all the way, right away. And is that just not a picture of what Christ has asked us with his gospel? That we don't bring a portion of the gospel. We don't bring just tidbits of it. That we bring all of it right away. And we act in obedience to Christ as our Savior. You do something. You respond to this good news. Look in Acts 2, 37 through 38. And Paul's preaching here in the New Testament church. And he says, and now when they heard this, they were, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, and every one of you in the same name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Brothers, what shall we do? And he says, Just go, just do it. Romans 10, 14 through 15. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Because as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Look, follow the pattern. The good news is preached. The good news is believed. The good news is believed. The good news is preached. It's a cyclical process for us. It's not a complicated one. It's one in which was set before as one of obedience, that we preach the word of God. The word of God is believed because the Holy Spirit acts on the heart of that person. And they, in turn, have that same upwelling and desire to evangelize the people around them and to proclaim the name of Christ. What did the shepherds do when they had seen? It says in 2.17 that they 
when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them that this child had been concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds doing. There was this idea of wonder that takes place. The shepherds became the first New Testament evangelists. There they were, evangelizing the word of God. The the thing that they believed in their heart is the thing that they brought forward. As we get ready to close, I want us to look at the last two verses. And in verse 19, looking at a brief glimpse of of Mary. And look what she says here. She says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured up all these things and pondered them. And I got to thinking about what she's pondering. Once again, put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in the reality of the situation where Mary was in. She's a, probably a teenage girl. She's just given birth. She's known no man. She's broken many laws in in the perspective of of the area that's around her. She has no idea what's going to take place. Is is tomorrow he going to be a grown man? Is he going to go to a normal path as a man and grow up? Am I going to have to, am I going to have to, teach him and train him just like any other child? Is he going to be like my neighbor's children? You know, how am I going to be looked at when other people look at my child and understand the story of it? But what does it say? She ponders these things and she does what? She treasures them up in her heart as she ponders the reality of what took place there. And then in Luke 2.20 we see the shepherds and they finish up here and they say, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You don't glorify and praise God unless you've been touched by God. We are not naturally going to praise and glorify a Savior unless He is just that, the Savior of your lives. They full circle. We don't know where they go from here. Look, they go back into the fields. We don't, we don't know who they have influence or impact on anymore. And that, it's not the point, but we know that they have walked out this proclamation of the gospel message and the reality of what it means to you and, you and I today. But I know one thing. It should always make us quick to bring praise to our Lord and our Savior. That we too should be quick to bring it out. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It's a great commission. I think it's fitting for us here because and I want us to look at a couple different parts. Because he gives us a few things here. Remember, this is Jesus' very last words. Right, So we see the very announcement of Christ here in Luke. And then we see Jesus' very last words here in Matthew 28. Culminating and bringing back full circle this advancement of the gospel. And he says, go therefore and make disciples. So first he tells us to go. What? To go with haste. That we go quickly. Therefore, and we do what? We make disciples of all nations. Remember, not only the Jew, but also the Gentile. And we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because that is where salvation comes. And then look here. We teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Obedience. All the way, right away. And behold, that I am always, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember he said, do not fear. Do not be afraid because the word is going to be good news of great joy. And he he just caps it off for us right here again. Say that I will be with you to the ends of all times. That the news that you will bring will be great news and of great joy and it will change the world because of what I have done in doing so. Church Jesus is the reason for the season. We've got the buttons, we've got the signs, we've got the pictures. It is why we do, in fact, what we do. We have been blessed with the greatest news that ever known to mankind. 
Instead of focusing on all the things that we don't have this Christmas, let us focus on all that we do have. This idea of the greatest joy that could have ever been given. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for this day. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the powerful message, God, that announcement, God, that changed the world forever. God, and I pray, Father, that you would give us that same drive, that same unction. That, God, your word would be heavy in our heart, but, God, it would also compel us and put us to be go with haste in proclaiming your gospel. God, as we go through this Christmas season, God, let us not miss an opportunity. God, it's an easy time, God, for us to forget and get caught up. But, God, I pray, God, that we would be busy about doing so. And in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And not only and not only do we have that prayer to go with, but we've got something even a little more tangible for you to kind of echo off of this sermon. And out in the foyer, there's, going to, there's these welcome cards. They give you some little information about our church, where and when, and some information. And our challenge to you this week is this, that you take one of these with you, and that you would begin to evangelize and to share the good news of the people around you. It's the Christmas season. People are typically are more willing. Um, and let's, let's take advantage of that. Let's let them see a picture of who Christ is. So pick one of these up on your way out. I love you. You're dismissed. <laughs>